Today's episode has a trigger warning for numerous mentions of suicidal ideation and suicide. If you're thinking about suicide or are worried a friend is, please reach out for help. Call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or text HELLO to 741741 to reach the crisis text line. so many reasons to stay so what is the reason you're gonna find I don't know the world deserves all of your your beauty you're listening to the safe space stories podcast each week we feature a mental health expert inspiring dean or impactful individual bringing you empowering mental health stories and advice on all things well-being I'm your co-host Bella and I'm your co-host Anushka. Whether you're struggling yourself or want to learn more, this podcast is your motivation to enhance your own well-being and that of those around you, as well as your 24-7 mental health resource. You just heard a little bit from Kalechi Ubozo, a writer, mental health advocate, and public speaker. She's worked in the California mental health system for nearly a decade and with over 35 mental health agencies. Kalechi has a large body of work in suicide prevention and published the book, We've Been Too Patient, in 2019. She was named a 2021 Steinberg Institute Mental Health Champion. She joins us now. Hi, I'm Kalechi Bozo. I am a mental health consultant. I'm based in Oakland. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. If Kalechi were to write the story of her mental health journey, there wouldn't be one clearly defined moment on the first page. Instead, the chapter would start when she was young, maybe five or six. That's when I started noticing like, hmm, this feels a little harder than it should. I just was a kid with a lot of big emotions and lots of feelings. But I think when the mental health journey started happening was when I thoughts that I started having were really negative and It was just beyond just being like down on yourself, just like in this way that just felt like I couldn't, like I couldn't pick myself up. Kalechi's mental health continued to decline over the years. Of course there were peaks, but things became too much to handle. For me, the darkest time was when I tried to kill myself and I was, you know, I was young, I was 15. And um, and then I tried again when I was 25 and there are different times, but what sticks out to me is that I just thought like no one cared or no one would miss me or that I was a burden. As a black woman, when I tried to get help for my mental health, people didn't believe me because I wasn't crying or I wasn't vulnerable or if someone's reaching for help, they have to look a certain way. And I noticed the people who got help were the people who didn't look like me. Um, And I got really upset by that. So one point when I was 15, I started like, well, I'll never tell anyone again that I'm struggling because the treatment I got was really bad. Um, And then when I was 25, I said, I had to stop pretending that everything was okay. And I actually have to get help um, and find help that's helpful because the help that I was finding was harmful. So I just want to say those low points in my life were like a snapshot. It's not the whole story. Um, I'm proud that, you know, 
I'm still here and that I fought to stay here. And that was not an easy fight. And I don't want anyone else to have to fight like I did because I just wanted someone to listen to me and like be like kind and say like, oh, you're not alone. Or I've had these thoughts too, or here's how we could get through this. So that's really where the shift changed when I met other people who had survived um, different things, whether it was an attempt or assaults or that there were survivors and that helped me, you know, see that I'm not alone. Kelechi heard those experiences of others in her early work life. Like I started off as a journalist in work. So my work journey was really interviewing other people about their stories. And I started seeing like, man, a lot of people deal with mental health. I don't think they would have called it mental health, um, but the way that they were describing when I'd interview someone after something happened to them or their family, they would really talk about like how they couldn't sleep or how they were struggling or how they were afraid all the time. And, you know, some people call that trauma. Some people would call that other different types of things. But I started to see like, wow, I think all of us deal with mental health in a different way. And maybe we don't use those words, but I started realizing like, wait, we all have mental health, just like physical health. Kalechi then found an opportunity that really spoke to her. She took a leap of faith. I heard they were funding people who had lived experience out in California. And I was like, I should move across the country and maybe someone will hire me to work in the mental health fields because I have a lived experience. And I was really lucky that I did get hired after I applied three times. Um, but eventually I did get into the field. And I think working with other people who were out about their mental health issues as opposed to like hiding it really helped me to see like, wow, we're really not alone and hearing other people's stories and what they've gone through made me just see them as stronger, not broken or weak or sick, um, just people who've gone through a lot and have survived. Kalechi's earlier experiences facing inequity in the mental health space stuck with her. Today, she's working to change that. What I'm really trying to change around the conversation about race and mental health is that a lot of times when people are experiencing mental health issues, if you're a Black, Indigenous, or a person of color, you get sent to jail, not mental health treatment. There's like huge like inequities in how we treat people of color around the mental health topic, especially because the conversation's taboo or that we don't have enough providers who understand the culture and how mental health may present itself. So what I'm really hoping to do is like, normalize the conversation around mental health in every culture, but also talk to people who maybe want to, you know, be that person from their community who would be a mental health provider, but also understand the cultural pieces because it does impact our mental health. And also think about the resilient pieces um, of our cultures. Like we've been here all this time and we are not just, you know, we can also thrive and heal. So for the Black community, there's BEAM, which is called uh, the Black Emotional and Mental Health Collective. And they do a lot of trainings for the Black community. And they also do some cross-cultural trainings too, um, but really around peer support. And they actually do this really cool thing where they train hairdressers to have the mental health conversation because in the Black community, even though no one calls it mental health, you're always telling your hairdresser like, oh my God, this happened, or your barber. So like, what if we trained 
those people who are already kind of like the therapists in the community, like with actual like mental health supports of where to connect someone. So they do creative, really cool cultural things like that, um, that they're one group I really, really appreciate. Another great resource is the California Reducing Disparities Project, and their website is cultureishealth.org. And they have amazing programs for African-Americans, Latinos, Native Americans, Asian and Pacific Islanders, and the LGBTQ plus communities. So definitely check them out to see some really great resources. All of those resources Kalechi mentioned are included in today's episode notes. A reoccurring theme in Kalechi's journey is the value of a story. One of the ways she showed this is through her book, We've Been Through Patient. It was such a wild process. My co-editor, L.D. Green, said, you know what? There's so many books written about people with mental health issues, but there's not that many books where people with like lived experience, so not everyone says mental health issues. Some people say lived experience, some people say peers, but there's not a book from our perspective. Um, and we should write our own book. And I was like, that sounds like a cool idea. Uh, let's do it. And we didn't know that anyone would ever read it. Uh, we got 25 different essays, all from the front lines of radical mental health. And people talk about real stuff. They talk about over-medication. They talk about police brutality. Like, I mean, the conversations in this book are really important. And some of it's a little controversial, but essentially, I mean, I think it's time to have a conversation about like what happens to people when you send them away. Because I think sometimes people think like, oh, you'll just get sent to a hospital and everything will be okay. And a lot of traumatic things happen in hospitals, which is why we need more community supports. And this is this is a book all about that. Um, and it really just gives the voices of people who have that lived experience um, to really share their own story without having someone label them or diagnose them or judge them. Um, and we don't all agree with each other, but we do all agree that we should be part of our mental health treatment, whatever that is. So some people are not for medication. Some people are okay with meds. Some people are like, you know what, peer support is what helps me. Um, you know, everyone, you know, some people do different art therapy, like it's really creative, but I mean, I think the goal was just to hear from people's different perspectives of what they've been through and like what has actually helped them heal. Storytelling is not only core to We've Been Too Patient, but also the way she tells her own journey and the conversations with others she has, where she sees its value in relating to people of different lived experiences. I think people are so afraid, especially afraid for young people to talk about having thoughts of suicide and like what to do now. And I, th I think for me, storytelling helps people understand you and almost like normalize the conversation. Now, we don't want people like we want people to stay, but if we're not able to talk about what's going on with them, they're very unlikely to like feel like we can handle it. So what I think is important for storytelling, like when I tell my story, I mean, when I go into depth, like I'm also silly. Like there was like I was a black goth kid like wearing fishnets with eyeliners, trying to make it in the South. And it was real awkward. Um, and like people, I don't, people connect with that. They're like, oh, 
I can see myself in your awkwardness, or I can see myself when you felt alone. And when people connect with a story, they connect with a human, and then they're like, wow, she was thinking about killing herself. If someone had like listened to her or created space, then maybe she wouldn't have attempted. Maybe I can create space. Maybe I can have conversations when I'm afraid of my friend is thinking about something. Maybe I can be direct. So the reason they're together is because people think talking about suicide plants an idea and that's the hugest myth of all. It actually doesn't. You can't just, it's not like a cold, you can't catch it. If you weren't thinking about it, you're not suddenly gonna start thinking about it, it's so weird. But if we can actually have people feel more comfortable talking about when they're in pain so that we can show up for them so they're not isolated. And when you're isolated, then you make some interesting choices like I did by myself. So I think the storytelling is to make the conversation seem like a conversation that someone could have with someone and not feel like it's too scary. And I personalize it because we're all humans. Like, you know, whatever the saddest day that you went through, that was my day every day. And some people that's when a loved one died or like a really bad breakup that sad, sad feeling, people can connect with that and say, wow, that's not so scary. Like that feeling isn't so scary. I could sit with someone who was feeling sad. In just a bit, Clutchy will tell us about some misconceptions she hears very often. But first, it's important to know that Clutchy had a lot of support over the years, but still she sees stigma and assumptions around mental health really get in the way of her work and her own personal path. Things that I've heard directly is like, you're selfish, you're a bad person, how could you do this to your family? Or at any moment, there'll be no warning sign, you might, you know, die by suicide. And lots of people give warnings. Um, A lot of people reach out for help uh, before they do something. So I think that's one big myth. And then I think there's just in our society for attempt survivors, we're actually not in the conversation a lot. You don't really hear about attempt survivors. You hear about loss survivors. So loss survivors are people who lost someone to suicide and they're telling someone else's story, but you don't actually hear a lot about attempt survivors because I mean, like there is a lot of stigma. There's a lot of fear. Um, And I think the biggest myth is that we can't get better. And that's not true. Like, do I still have thoughts? Yes. But do I have a plan for the thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I have a great partner. I have my mom. I have a great therapist. Like I have a team um, of people that I love that would, would support me. And I think people don't understand or know that. And I think the biggest thing is that like, I think people think people who have attempted or even died by suicide um, look a certain way. Like they must have had, this must have gone wrong. A lot of people pretend to be really well. And what I mean by well is like, I'm just going to get through the day. I'm just going to do it. And it feels really surprising to people. But um, a lot of people are really struggling quietly. So you may never know that they're feeling that way. So we don't all look a certain way. So I think there's those are some of the myths um, besides the big one that if you talk about it, it will like some it will cause someone to do it. I think the other myth is that there's one reason people do it. And that's not true. Like it could be many, many reasons of pain. So those are some of the things I wish people knew. People all act differently. But Kalechi shares with us the major signs that someone may be thinking of suicide. Everyone's different. 
There's different cultures. There's different ways that people share. But sometimes people will say, like, I'm feeling hopeless or I don't think anything's ever going to get better. So some of the signs are like, you know, a really strong emotion um, or talking about being a burden to someone else. Or if you notice your friend or yourself or you're withdrawing from things that make you happy, sudden mood changes. Um, again, the hopelessness feeling like desperate or trapped or even people saying like, I think sometimes people make jokes about like, ah, I should just die. Um, I, anytime someone jokes about something like that, I always take it seriously. I'm like, are you thinking about, are you thinking about suicide? Uh, because sometimes people laugh or make jokes to say things that are really difficult. Um, and like the other things are like giving possessions away or, you know, like you really start to see these kind of like signs. Um, some things are like using drugs and like using a lot of like, like if someone wasn't really like drinking or using other things that you might be like, oh, that's interesting. Like just kind of feeling a little reckless. So those are some things that might be some signs um, and things we always tell people to like, you know, pay attention to is like if someone loses a job or has a big breakup or like, you know, like some your family, like there's a divorce going on. Those are, those are some, you know, and again, that has nothing to do with mental health. That's just like things that happen in people's life that might be like disruptive or difficult can start making folks think about it. And a lot of people think about suicide and a lot of people don't do anything like they stay here. So I just want to leave that out there too, is that if you're having thoughts about um, suicide and you're feeling isolated, you can always call um, the suicide prevention hotline and if you're worried about someone, a lot of people don't know this. If you're worried about someone, you can call them too, and they can give you resources in your community and they can actually help you talk to someone. So if you're like a friend and you're like, oh my God, I'm worried about my friend, but I have no idea how to talk to them, but I know they won't tell their parents because we don't tell our parents anything. Um, you can actually talk to someone on the hotline and they can actually help you talk to someone about how to, they could get connected to a counselor. Um, again, a trusted adult, because not all adults are great with difficult things just to be a hundred percent real. So someone you, you can trust that will be helpful. While storytelling is a broad way that Kalechi helps others, she gets more specific with ways to open the conversation with a friend or family member. If maybe you're concerned about them. I actually think it's always better to talk to someone directly, even if you don't have the perfect words. And I think really like if you're worried about someone and if I was like, Bella, you know what? I've noticed that you stopped coming to like whatever event we have every week and um, you're not really talking as much. I'm worried about you. Now, if you're worried that someone is thinking about suicide, you can ask them directly. It won't make them think about it. Um, it does say I'm a safe person to talk to about this. So I might say, Bella, are you thinking about suicide? And if you said, yes, I am, I would say, tell me about what's going on with you. And I would listen to whatever's happening in your life. And I would also try to connect you to a trusted adult. And I wouldn't try to keep it a secret. I think that's the biggest thing because, um, and someone asked me this um, when I was doing a youth presentation, like, 
well, shouldn't I keep my friend's secret? And I, I was 15. I said, you better tell, I told my friend, I said, look, I'm thinking about killing myself. And my friend said, I'm going to tell. And I said, well, I'll be mad at you. And my friend was like, I'd rather have you be mad at me and still alive. And I just, I never forgot that. And I was like, well, I can't be mad at that. Um, and so <laughs> I was like, well, that's pretty real. So I think it's like, hey, I want to tell someone so we can get you help. Who do you feel comfortable talking to? And I'll go with you. So I think it's first like asking direct questions or bringing up things that you've been seeing, saying like, are you thinking about that and listening and then coming up with a plan of like, okay, who can we talk to? Who, you know, and maybe it's a therapist, maybe it's a guidance counselor, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's their parent. Um, and this is one of the really great reasons why knowing the resources in your community is really helpful as like mental health advocates. For all you youth listening to this podcast right now, Kalechi has a message for you. If you're a teenager and you are listening to this and you've struggled with thoughts of suicide, I want to tell you, you are not alone. A lot of people think about suicide and a lot of people stay here. I used to think I was the only one and it helped when I found out that I wasn't alone and that people have found ways to get support. I would also say, I know I don't know you or what help or support might work best for you, but find people who are kind, who are non-judgmental, and who will listen to you. And don't try to do this alone. Being alone is not helpful when you're having these thoughts. So who feels safe to talk to and to help you move through it? I also believe that life is always going to have its ups and downs and it isn't that life gets better it's that people get better i wish i could have said to my younger self that i would learn coping skills like how to really pay attention to my thoughts and interrogate them and understand that some of my thinking was hurting me um, and i did that with a therapist i really enjoyed working with I wish I could tell my younger self that removing people who weren't great for me was the best thing I could have done that weren't supportive, right? And if you're someone who's looking for support, whether that's mental health therapy, counseling, group support, and you're working with someone and it doesn't feel like it's working or the person isn't helpful, ask to work with someone that you like, that you connect with, so that you're successful because you need to be able to trust someone in order to change or understand what's going on with you. And one thing that I would say to my younger self that I know now is that when I start having thoughts of suicide, it means something in my world needs to change. And that doesn't mean I don't need to be here, but it means that I have to deal with this pain and I've got to talk to someone who's going to help me understand what this pain means and help me heal it. And I also tell my younger self that eventually I would meet an amazing therapist who would support me and great peer supporters who also had been there, who shared their struggles and how they coped and that I wasn't alone.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Safe Space Stories is brought to you by Safe Space, a youth-led, mental health-focused organization that empowers young people to engage openly with their local schools and communities. Learn more at safespace.org. If you want to share your own story or learn more about Safe Space Stories, please visit us and contact us at safespacestories.org. And finally, please share this podcast with your friends, family, or anyone else you think could benefit. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoy it and subscribe. We hope to see you next time.